into Jerusalem and all the Gospels. Um, just felt that Luke would be the one we would go with tonight. Uh, if you have been reading along during Lent uh, through the Gospel of John, we've already crossed this, this part of the story. Um, and so each Gospel kind of brings out something unique. Um, Luke, his, uh, he was not an, an eyewitness. What he did was he talked to a bunch of eyewitnesses and compiled his Gospel together. And so uh, his perspective to me is always just kind of unique because it's it's uh, it, because it was done that way. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're just going to we're going to walk through the story, um, and I'm just going to maybe just kind of pull out a few things here and there, or whatever, and then uh, kind of come away with with a, a few takeaways for us tonight. And so um, maybe what you connect with the most is as we're walking through. Maybe it's something something small. Maybe it's some of the takeaways or, or whatever. Um, but like, like I said a second ago, I think uh, like theology a lot of times is it's such a difficult thing, I think, for us to really wrap our minds around and stuff like that. Uh, but um, we, from the time we're very, very small, we, we understand storyline. We understand what a plot is. We understand um, who the characters are. We understand the, the good guy and the bad guy and um, all that kind of stuff. And then the older you get, you start to uh, you study the the form behind good story writing and everything. And, um, and so I think, um, you know, w- last week we talked about uh, omniscience, the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God and, and how he's uncreated and all this, like these big things we've been talking about in, in community group. Um, I think it's cool that tonight we find ourselves just in a simple story uh, that we're kind of God's being thorough and like different ways for us to learn about things. Um, so we're just going to start, uh, and before I get into it too much, um, let me sort of set the stage so we can kind of understand the vibe of what's going on. Um, it is uh, it is almost Passover uh, time. Now, Passover is um, what many consider the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar. You, you talk to someone who's Jewish, and they would probably have a hard time picking because uh, Jewish... Uh, People of the Jewish faith are, I mean, they're devout and they're serious and everything they do is like super important to them. So they might have a hard time ranking them. Um, but Passover is, is a really big deal. Uh, the Passover uh, celebration was um, like reminiscent and focusing back on retelling the story of their exodus out of, of Egypt. And so they had been in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt um, prior to that. Um, God had promised Abraham that he was going to, uh, through his bloodline, he would make this great nation. He also said um, there are going to be some rough times ahead of him, about 400 years. And then after in, at the end of that, I'm going to get them out and I'm going to turn them in this nation and stuff like that. So um, Passover was a long time in the making. A lot of people thought maybe God you know, forgot about him. He didn't. Um, he comes in, you know, sends Moses in, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, the plagues, all that, that stuff is uh, just incredible. Uh, and the last plague that happened was the, um, was the killing of the firstborn um, of the family. Um, unless you put the blood over the doorposts, 
and in which case the Spirit of the Lord would, came across. And if you have blood over the doorposts, which all of the Israelites did, uh, the Lord would pass over your house and your firstborn would not die. And so the firstborn in all of Egypt, um, in, in every family, they died as the Spirit passed over, including uh, Pharaoh's firstborn. And that was, the, that was the trigger. He was like, y'all just get out of here. I don't even care. Just go. Uh, I don't want to mess with you or your God anymore. And so um, that the Lord passing over um, was what led to their, their redemption and their uh, freedom from Egypt. And so after they left, you know, the, the story of Israel is up and down and all this kind of stuff. But every year they celebrated Passover because um, they did not want to forget what God had done for their ancestors who God was, the promises that he had made to them, the fact that he always keeps his promises. And so um, that's what was being celebrated, was liberation from Egyptian oppression. Um, so this is coming into uh, Passover week. There's a whole series of things that you did, and then there was a big Passover meal. Um, now, to put it in, in our terms of like understanding weekdays and stuff like that, um, you, would, you, would find, you would go pick out your Passover lamb, on the 10th day of the month, uh, and then on the 14th day of the month is when you would uh, kill it and have the Passover meal. So you would select it, let's say, on a Sunday, and you would kill it on a Thursday. So if we're thinking ahead of this week, um, Sunday, Palm Sunday, would be the day that everybody went and picked out their sacrificial animal. Thursday would be when they would kill it and have the meal together. So Thursday would be the Passover meal of Jesus at the Last Supper, and then Friday he would be arrested, cruci- you know, crucified, uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how the timeline plays out. So Palm Sunday was, as we understand, it has to do with Jesus' triumphal entry. But the Sunday before the Passover meal was a big day because that's when you went and you, you bought the lamb that you were going to sacrifice. And so this day was like everybody's crowding into Jerusalem. If you could celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, that was a really big deal because you got to take your lamb to the temple to be sacrificed and stuff, and that was, like, the ultimate for them. So um, so Jerusalem was, like, I mean, everybody from all over was traveling in. So there's just people everywhere. It was absolutely crazy. Um, and, and the whole deal was, like, we're getting ready to celebrate our liberation from Egypt. But a more contemporary for them meaning had also been attached to it because they're like, okay, we're going to celebrate this freedom from Egyptian oppression, um, but currently at the time, they were also, um, like, Rome was over Jerusalem, too. And so it also taken on this new meaning of not only are we going to celebrate our freedom from Egypt, but this is also our, us expressing our desire to be free from Roman oppression as well. And so with that being said, Jerusalem became a very tense location uh, during uh, Passover. And so the like the presence of like Roman military and stuff was heightened because they were like wanting to keep the crowds very much under control. So it was like just like the perfect storm for this big revolt to happen all the time. And so everybody's kind of like everybody's real amped up. All the the Israelites are like they're they're in liberation mode, and Rome and all the military and all the like law enforcement, whatever you want to call them, uh, they were in crowd control mode. Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were really tense because they were kind of caught in the middle because Rome kind of kept them in their position. So they tried, they wanted to make Rome happy, but then the people were who they were kind of over as well. And so they were trying to keep the peace, not wanting the people, like wanting them to be like, yeah, let's talk freedom, but not too much. 
I'm talking to Rome. Like, don't worry, we got we're cool. Don't worry about it. There's they're all talk or whatever. So they're kind of playing middleman. So everybody was was really like it was just a a crazy crazy time uh, right now. And so um, Jesus had been in Jericho, and now he's he's traveling to uh, the Mount of, of Olives, and uh, that's where he's going to stay and have the Passover meal and stuff like that. And so um, he's making his way toward Jerusalem. And in, we see earlier in the Gospels it says that he had set his face toward Jerusalem meaning that the time had come in his 30-whatever years, and he said, okay, um, it's now it's, it's time to start that journey, start going down that path, uh, the path that he knew would lead to his crucifixion and death. Um, it's like it's time to do that. And so, so we pick up, here we are, Luke 19, verse 28. So, and, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent to the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, uh, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. All right, let's stop right there. Um, let's talk about a couple of things that are significant here. Um, so Jesus is making his way westward, okay, toward Jerusalem. And there's no flat land in, in Israel anywhere. And so uh, if if you're looking, try to do this backwards, if, uh, if I'm Jerusalem, there's like a big valley called the Kidron Valley, and then the Mount of Olives kind of goes up this way. And, uh, and so he's, he's coming this way. So he's going, you know, up and down and all this kind of stuff, whatever. Leaves Jericho, comes to uh, Bethany, Bethpage, whatever. Uh, and so he's, he's traveling this way. When it says he was like going up to Jerusalem, they just literally meant like up the valley to, to Jerusalem, whatever. So he's on his way in. Um, conceptually, like for Passover, okay. So what they're thinking is um, most people think that uh, he traveled, 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 made it to um, to Bethany uh, for, in time for uh, the Sabbath day, which was sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, and so made it there, enjoyed the Sabbath with his friends and his you know homies, whatever there in Bethany. If he had homies, I guess he did. Uh, stayed there, and then um, on Sunday he made his way into Jerusalem when everybody else is going to try to go like buy their lambs for sacrifice for the coming Thursday night meal. Okay, so um, I think that that is important for us to realize that at one point he had set his face toward Jerusalem, and that meant like he had to like even like physically journey to the city. Like it didn't just. I mean, he had to, like, go there. He had to say, we're, we're going to go. Knowing what that left for him, he had to go there. And that's significant, and we'll talk about that in a second. So on the way, um, he sends some guys ahead of him and said, hey, there's going to be a donkey or a colt, you know, the kid of a donkey, uh, however that works. There's going to be one that's going to be tied up in the city, and go get it for me. Now, that's significant in, in a, a, a couple of ways. Um, one... In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, 
uh, it's part of the prophecy about the Messiah, was that he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And what is happening here is Jesus is like pushing over the first domino in the chain. Because once he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, like it just it's going to just roll from there. Like the plan of God, the unchangeable like plan of the unchangeable God is going to happen at this point. And so um, this is a significant moment. Not only is it significant because it starts this chain of events, it's significant because he's basically picking a fight. And this is one more reason to love Jesus, okay? The, the city is like super tense. And what would set this, the tension even higher than to have this dude who's caused all this trouble ride into town on a donkey, just like everybody's been waiting to happen for years and years and years. Now, other people had tried to do this. Jesus was not the first guy to be like, hey, I'm going to ride into town on a donkey. Because there were other people who tried to say they were the Messiah, and they said they knew the prophecies in Zechariah said he's going to come in a donkey, so they tried to do the same thing. The difference is that Jesus raised people from the dead. Like Jesus healed the blind and the lame. I mean, he, he did things that nobody else could do. And so here is this guy who has this uncanny ability to teach the scriptures, and he's claiming to be God, and he's raising the dead to the point where if you're in, in John chapter uh, something, I think 12, um, it says that, uh, yeah, it says that, um, like, remember, remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? There was a plot. I, you all probably knew this. I just read it the other day. Uh, there was a plot to kill Lazarus because his testimony was bringing so many people to follow Jesus. And they were like, hey, we've got to kill this dude. There was this huge stir and all this tension. And Jesus is like, hey, um, it's time to get the donkey. It's, it's time to pick a fight. It's time to accelerate the timeline of whatever the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and all that, whatever they have planned for me, because they have something planned, um, we're not going to roll on their timeline. We're going to go on mine. And this, this is the day. This is the day to get the donkey. This is the time for the Passover. This is the time to pick the fight. This is the time to knock the first domino over with. So, him saying, go get this donkey that's tied up in this town is more than him being like, hey, I'm going to manipulate this prophecy. And he's like, no, no, this, what happened, was written in Zechariah was about me, about this happening now. And so, and we see his omniscience too, because like, how does he know there's a donkey there? And how does he know that no one's ever ridden it? Well, he's, he's Jesus. We talked about this a while back, how he has these two natures. There's his human nature and there's his uh, divine nature, and his divine nature he humbles, um, and there's this, uh, this humility to where he doesn't, he's not always um, like exhibiting that omniscience. So we don't know if that was him being omniscient and knowing there's a donkey there, or if the Holy Spirit told him, was like, hey, there's a donkey there. You know what? We don't really know. And you know It doesn't even matter. Because he sends these guys up there to find this donkey that no one has ridden. Now, how interesting is it, one that like nobody had ridden it? Now, I myself have never tried to jump on the back of a random wild animal. Uh, 
Some of you maybe have, but I've never done that. But from what I understand, it's a really bad idea. Like, like horses, like they break horses, and it's a process. And in, and there are people who know how to do that. You take these wild horses and you break them to where you can ride them. Um, I would imagine that just hopping on the back of a like donkey that's never been ridden would probably not end super well. Um, but that's significant too. That Jesus is going to ride in on this particular animal that no one ever, no one else has ever ridden. There's a there's a purity that's there in that. It seems really simple. There's a purity there. There's a purity in his uh, in his conception. We'll just leave it at that. There's a purity in this. There's a purity in the fact that his tomb uh, was was unused. I mean, there's just there's these little symbolic things. And you know what else is is interesting to me is that he. This is the king of the universe, and he borrows a donkey. You read the other Gospels, he's like, just tell him I'll bring it back. I just need to borrow it. Ride into town, pick a fight, knock the domino down. I'll bring it back. The dude, he, he didn't have anything. Or did he have everything? I don't know. We'll leave that for later. So... So the donkey, I mean, it's this is this is big, and kings would um, when a king would ride into a town on a horse, it meant I'm here to declare war. When a team, when a king would ride into a, a city on a donkey, it meant I am bringing peace to this city. So there's lots, lots of symbolism there. Um, okay, so let's keep going. Verse 32. Um, Okay, so he just told them what to do. So those who were sent sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Dude had the best answers. Always. Look back, look back, um, verse 35, um, they started throwing their, their cloaks on the colt. And one of the things about um, there being a, like four different Gospels, and there's super great reasons why there are four. And um, there are times when s- some have certain details and others have other details and whatever. And some people think that that means you should just toss out the Bible and you can't rely on it. I think it's like a beautiful, beautiful thing, um, personally. Uh, if you want to talk about that after, we'll hang around and talk about it. But um, in the other, the other Gospels, uh, it talks about that's when like Hosanna in the highest is one of the things that they call out, um, and it says not only did they put their cloaks on the animal, but they laid their 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 coats down in front of him as, as he would come down. You know, like the like at a wedding when they roll out the big rollout thing down the aisle before the bride comes, and then the, and then the the flower kids go and they put the petals all down the deal. You know, like there was this this adornment of the road. And and the people are are coming with them, 
And a lot of people believe that that from Jericho, I mean, like people followed him from Jericho to Bethphage and, and, and Bethany, and that they followed him into the city like they were like, something is going on, something is going on. And and the the hype and the anticipation of the moment began to, like, get super high whenever he was like, go get the donkey. Because they were students of Scripture, and they are like, wait a minute, like, the donkey? The donkey. And they're like, this is it. Like, this is... This is this is the triumphal procession we've been waiting on, you know. And as I was reading it this week, like I was I was thinking back to when uh, when President Obama when he won the the election that night, you know. And it was just this I mean this huge huge moment in so many ways. And then um, his inauguration when they got out of the car and he and Michelle were uh, I'm sorry Mrs. Obama when they were walking uh, walking down and waving and stuff like that and it was just and i know it's happened for other presidents but it was just different you know like that was just one of those historic moments that that you just never forget um i think that this just blows that out of the water because with things already being so so heightened and, and they wanted uh revolution and they wanted all this stuff uh, they're like, this is it. Like, he, this is the king. He's coming. And as they got closer and closer, they started thinking about all the miracles. That's what it said. They started praising God and worshiping. And it was because of all the, like, miraculous things they had seen. And so what had to be going through the, their mind was like, what is about to happen? Like, this guy brings sight back to the blind. He takes someone who was born unable to use their legs and, and heals them. This guy took someone who was dead and brought them back to life. What do you think is about to happen when we get to Jerusalem? There's no telling how his, his announcement that he is here, what's going to go down. It, I mean, they had to be so amped up. And the closer they got, and so they, they started to sing, and they started to wave the palm branches, which was, which was a Jewish sign of, of not, some, a lot of people think it's peace, but it's really it's victory. It's conquest. It's power. And so they're waving these palm branches at, at the king, and they're laying their coats down, and he's coming in, and they're just screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, and everything's getting hyped up. And as he comes into the city, can you imagine what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did? Can you imagine what the Sanhedrin did? And they were just, all the, the ruling authority of Jerusalem were probably like, oh, my goodness. What is this dude about to do? Because they knew, too. They knew he could raise the dead. They knew he could do anything that he wanted to. They had to be tense. The Roman government would be like, you know, stat, everybody over to the eastern gate, you know, whatever. Uh, like, they had to be completely freaking out. Like, can, can you imagine what a stir this would have caused? This was not any, just any old triumphal entry. Like, this was it. And they were convinced that it was, it was about to be on. Now, what we see from this, if you look at what look at what they're saying, verse thirty-eight: "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord." Okay, that's quoting uh, Old Testament uh, scriptures about the Messiah. Um, they're super focused on being a king. Uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Um, peace between God and man. We hope so. Glory in the highest. We hope so. Um, all of this is um, is incredibly. Um, short-sighted. And that's something that we have to keep in mind about, about the triumphal entry of, of Christ, is that uh, the people were super amped up, but they were like super missing the point. When you read the other Gospels and you put together all the things that they were crying 
they were 100% convinced that this was the king of Israel who was going to like break them free of Roman oppression, just like God broke them free of Egyptian uh, oppression. And that power and that kingdom was going to be restored like it was under David, under Solomon. But then that was going to just expand. He was, this was going to be the, he was going to be the king of the planet. But it was all political. It was all military. It was all earthly. It was all completely horizontal. And so they missed the fact that from the very beginnings of the story of God, the redemption that was promised is all about sin. It's all spiritual freedom. It has nothing to do with politics, really, unless it's a byproduct. It has nothing to do with military anything unless it's a byproduct. So good, godly politics, good, godly um, you know, order, that kind of stuff. Um, it is 100% about spiritual redemption, and they missed it. And even the disciples missed it. Like the guys that he had been training, investing in, followed him everywhere, listened to everything he thought. The guys he was going to hand the keys to to take over, they missed it. All of them. They were really pumped about him taking the throne of authority in Jerusalem. But that's not what Jesus was there to do. They were all about him riding in on a donkey to bring peace. But they thought it was horizontal peace. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm here to bring a different kind of peace. And so to me, it's real interesting. And that's one reason why I kind of felt like Luke was the way to go. Because the Pharisees were like, hey, dude, uh, rebuke your disciples. They didn't call him, they called him teacher. Um, verse 39, it's teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he, he said, I tell you, if these were, these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I love the fact that even though they didn't get it 100% right, Jesus still let them go. You know? He wasn't like, until you understand this thoroughly, don't you say a word. Like he was like, you know what? They're they're right-ish. I mean, I'm I'm the king. I've arrived. Glory in the highest, peace in heaven and on earth. I mean, I'm Hosanna. I'm here. The one, I'm the one to save them. They just they just don't understand the full scope of it. And so he says, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet. And to me, that's very comforting, especially when um, when I am continually brought face to face with how much I don't understand about God. To know that He's not going to reject my worship, my praise, my my prayers, my anything, just because I don't understand Him thoroughly. I think that's pretty cool. Now, don't you know? Don't miss the point that Jesus is very, very, very brokenhearted by the fact that they didn't get it. After all the prophecies and all the all the, the faith of the patriarchs and everything and, and all his teaching and everything that he's done, that they still missed it. It breaks him. You keep reading in this chapter, he weeps. He just weeps over the pain and the destruction that's going to come because they, they didn't they just couldn't understand it. He weeps. But he doesn't reject them. And that's awesome. And so Jesus comes in 
Everybody makes this really big deal, and then uh, the day gets later, and uh, he goes back. And he's like, all right, the dominoes are, are falling. This is a huge moment in our story. And so what's the, what does it have to do with us? Let me give you three quick, quick things why I think why this is significant. One um, is the fact that every bit of this was intentional for Jesus. Um, it's real easy, and especially like, like this week as things move forward, and uh, we're going to put some stuff on our homepage that kind of just, just kind of show you like what happens each day. Um, of of Holy Week, of Passion Week, um, it seems real mechanical. Like it seems like, um, like it all kind of happened by chance, and it's kind of easy, as story driven as we are, to be like, oh man, like because Judas did this, and this did this, and this, this, and this happened to Jesus, and this is how it all all went down. And um, it's like, no, it was it was orchestrated by the Lord. Jesus was like, go get the donkey. It's time to do this. I think that's really important for us to remember. Um, in, John, uh, in John chapter 10, uh, verse 18, Jesus says, uh, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. We, we need to remember that this week. Jesus didn't, he didn't happen to die. It wasn't a strange turn of events. And I know that seems really elementary, but we have to keep in mind Jesus was like I'm doing this for the glory of God and for the good of the people of God so everything that happens was on purpose my favorite things to to remind myself of and remind other people of is that God is not random he seems random life seems random all that kind of stuff whatever God is not random triumphal entry I mean how random is he's like go go borrow a donkey I'm gonna ride it in and I'm gonna go back not random, completely strategic. That's how he is with this story. That's how he is with your life, with my life. Very, very, very intentional. Um, the second thing I think it's important to take away from this is that Jesus um, did not meet the expectations of the people. Uh, Jesus met the needs of the people. And so what they were expecting was this military king. And they couldn't even, they couldn't even understand probably what Jesus was talking about. Like, what do you mean a spiritual king? A spiritual kingdom? I don't understand. They understood um, like real, like earthly kings, earthly kingdoms. They understood power. They understood might. They understood money. They understood military. They, un- they understood all that structure. They had, probably could not even fathom what he was talking about. Jesus didn't care what the crowd expected from him. He cared about what they needed. He said, I'm here to meet needs, not meet expectations. And we talked about this in community group last week with, with agape love and how like agape love is, is giving of yourself for the benefit of others. One of the things that I think it was Beth Moore that talked about it is how it's, um, it's, a, it's about meeting needs it's about like responding to needs rather than like responding to what you can get out of it or whatever and and kind of contrasting those things and we see that agape love here that here's this crowd completely like we want you to do this and you're here to do this this and this and we as humans could like understand how it'd be super easy to get caught up in that like yeah i could do that yeah no all right yeah no i'll do this 
But if, if Jesus had, if he had met the expectations of the people there, we would not be here today. Like if he had had gone in, done something miraculous, made all the Roman people die or something like that, like all the centurions just dropped dead, and then he were to go in, it's like, I'm the king and I'm here, whatever, and it was this, this some big coronation, like at the end of Lord of the Rings or something like that, and she's like this great moment. If he, if he had done that, without there being a cross, without that, we wouldn't be here. There would be nothing. So if he had met their expectations, bad deal. But he doesn't meet expectations. He meets needs. And so in our lives, he may look at you and say, you, you, you want this, but what you need is this, and I'm going to give you this. You want this and this and this and this, but I've already given you what you need, which is me. Completely different. And so that's a pretty important takeaway for us to keep in mind. The, the, the third one is this. The pattern of the disciples is the pattern for you and I. Um, Nate, can you put up that verse from, from John? Uh, this is John twelve sixteen. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They went from, from seeing just the circumstances. They went from being like very, very self-focused, very self-centered, very, very limited, very earthly, a lot of tunnel vision, a lot of whatever. But once, once they were enlightened as to who he was, everything changed for them. And that's our pattern that we fall into as well. Like, we at one time were also completely self-focused and very, like, kingdom of the world focused. And now we're not. And the thing is, you read the disciples, like, they come off like a, just a bunch of chumps most of, of the Gospels. Do they ever turn it on in the book of Acts? Do they ever get their act together when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of them? Every one of those guys died a martyr's death. So that's our pattern, too, that we have come out of that. Now that we understand who he is and we understand what the triumphal entry was about, we understand more about what kind of king Jesus is, well, that's our basis for life. That's our basis for truth. And so when we, when we read this story, now we have, we have the benefit of being on this side of the cross. We look at it and say, that dude gave of his life accordingly. He intentionally laid it down. He intentionally set things in motion. He rode into that town, and he knew exactly what he was doing. And I'm so grateful and forever indebted to him that he did not care what the people expected of him, that he was like, I'm here to do this. Obeying the Father is like food to me, and that's what I'm here to do. And as we go into the events of this coming week, it's so important for us to keep all these things in mind and to recognize uh, when we talk about God being unchanging in his plan, that this plan was perfect. As horrible as Friday is going to be, as some famous pastor said, remember, Sunday's coming. We keep the whole storyline in mind. All right, let's pray together. Father, we, um, we love you, and we are so grateful for um, 
grateful for what you have done for us and this and very grateful for the way that you've done it. For a story like this, so much intentionality and so much excitement. God, we we can completely understand how a group of people would would miss it. Get so wrapped up in the hype of the moment that they would lose sight of what was really going on. And I pray, Father, that you would that you would help us to not be that way with our faith. That we would not exist in that self centered, you know, perspective all the time. Where we make We make prayer, we make worship, we make everything just about us. We make the gospel about us. I pray that we would be like the disciples who, um, who yeah, one time didn't get it, but once they did, they were unshakable in, in their drive, in their focus, in their worship, in their, their perspective, in their understanding of what was really going on. I pray that as we as we go through this week and we still have work and school and all kinds of stuff going on i pray that we would go through this week very mindful of the events that happened because that's a very important part of who we are we would not lose sight of the fact that you gave up your life willingly you intentionally laid that down that the cries of hosanna in psalm 118 for someone to come and save that you heard those you responded and now we are here because of your obedience and your faithfulness and I pray that this would not be just a story uh, to us but it would be what shapes us and guides us and most importantly that we would look at stories like this as a way to understand more of who you are and what you've done 